Welcome to A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends. We share good news and godly wisdom to empower you to be salt and light in every season of life. God wants to redeem us. He does not forget us or His promises to us. Despite being exposed to the church at a young age, both Rob Diaz and Paul Lynn chose to live different lifestyles. God intervened in their lives as they began to search for something real. Listen in as they share how God redeemed them and fulfilled His promises for them. After the episode, consider leaving a review and follow us on your favorite streaming service. If you've gleaned anything from this podcast, consider paying it forward with a gift at somebodycares.org. Now let's join our host, Doug Stringer. God doesn't forget who we are. He doesn't forget His promises to us. Every one of us has a promise the Lord has provided for us if we would trust him to be the Lord of our lives. And many of you listening today have heard my story over the years and how God's had me in a journey of vocational ministry and being the founder of Somebody Cares International about 41 years ago, starting on the streets of Houston, working with homeless people, runaways, drug addicts, at-risk youth, gang members, to now ministering all over the world through prayer initiatives and disaster relief, as well as leadership training and intenses, as well as a compassion coalition of ministries that are a network. We call it the net that works. It's mending the net of many, many ministries working together around the world. And somewhere along the way, I got the chance to meet Rob and to meet Paul. In fact, I think, Paul, you came up to me one time. We were at New Life Church in Houston at a gathering, and you came up and asked if we could do a selfie. I said, sure. And then you told me a little bit about the story. Yeah, I, I went to the New Life, I think, because at the time I was going to Mission 24, and it was a campus church at U of H. I got invited to the, I think it was an I Pray event. So we were praying for, for schools and colleges, and I didn't know you were going to be there. I had actually seen some of your videos uh, about leadership and about fatherhood and in the prison. Like when, when I was in prison, one of the volunteers brought in like a video series from you. And then there you are, you know? And so I, I walked up to you and asked if I could take a selfie with you because uh, I was definitely very impacted by your teachings from the video series and some of your books. And so I just thought it was really cool that, you know, out here in the free world, I just ran into you in Houston. I didn't even know you were in Houston. So, you know, most people would probably look at the three of us and, you know, they've seen me doing ministry for for over four decades now and have no clue of what my past used to be like, you know, and in a previous podcast, I was sharing that I'd done psychedelic drugs. I did marijuana. I did LSD. I did so many other things, speed. I did PCP. I mean, you name it. I mean, my past was not something that I was proud of. Y'all are married. You have family. You have people that love you. You're involved in church. They look at me and think, there's no way. But yet somewhere where the enemy had distracted us and we had been detoured from our calling, but yet God redeemed even those moments in our lives. And Paul, to hear that you had been in prison, that just blows me away. So tell a little bit about your journey. How did you end up in prison and how did you end up finding a journey into the Lord? I grew up in a pretty good family, you know, your normal kind of middle class Asian or Chinese parents. They raised me, you know, according to Asian culture. It was all about schoolwork. For the most part, you know, I, I had a pretty normal upbringing. Went to public school here in Houston or in Sugarland. 
when I was starting to go into second grade, we moved to Taiwan. And when we were in Taiwan, my parents put me and my brother in a, a Christian missionary academy. And that was the first time that I, I had heard anything about Jesus or the Bible or anything. It was foreign to me and because my parents weren't Christians, but they put us there because they, you know, they spoke English and we didn't speak Chinese. So there's no way that we could make it in the public school system over there. While I was there, I just uh, kind of adapted to the environment. You know, I started reading the Bible, memorizing scriptures, going to chapel services, going to retreats and all that. Well, we ended up moving back to Sugar Land in 97. It felt like I, I kept getting uprooted from my environment and having to make new friends. And just looking back, I didn't have an identity. I didn't know who I was and I didn't know like who I belonged to. When we moved back, you know, I was taken out of that Christian environment. I didn't go to church when we moved back. I didn't have any Christian friends and all my neighbors and, and the people that I hung out with, you know, didn't weren't Christians. And so I found acceptance in the wrong crowd. I just started getting in trouble, you know, starting in eighth grade. I started doing drugs. I think my first drug was ecstasy, hanging around with kids that were robbing people. They didn't even need to. Like they're, you know, we were in like, you know, the suburbs of Sugarland, bad influences, and they're, you know, they're robbing people at gunpoint and dealing drugs at, you know, and this is at like 13, you know, just out of a, a need to be accepted and to feel like belonging and, and respect and all that, you know, I just started doing what my friends were doing, you know, and still from like eighth grade all the way till freshman in college, you know, I was just, uh, it's kind of like a party lifestyle, just drinking every day, drugs. I've done everything probably except for heroin. I was doing cocaine a lot at the time. I was, you know, on bars all the time and drinking every day. And one night in 2005, we went to a club, a mutual friend of ours was throwing a party. So we went to go support it. You know, I was on bars drinking beer. And so when you mix those two, it's a bad result. Like, you know, you just, you don't remember nothing. You fall asleep and then the next morning, like you, whatever you did the night before, you don't remember. And you just start doing stupid things because you lose like all inhibition. And that was the norm for us. When we were leaving the club, they were closing. It was 2 a.m. One of the friends that I went with, he was coming out of the club and he got jumped by a group of guys that he had beefed on like two weeks prior. So I didn't know these people. And none of us knew what was going on. We just saw that, you know, our friend was getting jumped. I found out later that he had kind of started something with them two weeks prior. I had a pistol with me and I got on my car and went to try to help my friend. And a couple of dudes that were attacking him started, you know, they beat, they're beating on me. And then, so I, I had the gun and I fired and I, I shot the person that was attacking me and ended up killing him. That's what I did to uh, land prison time. And I got convicted in 2006 and was convicted uh, first degree murder and given a 15 year sentence. Went into county jail and that's where I gave my life to the Lord. During this whole time, like between moving back from Taiwan and going to prison, like I had become an atheist, like a self-avowed. I remember the moment when I, I think I was in my backyard and I, I, I said out loud, like, man, God cannot be real because if he was, he would have saved me already. Like he would have not allowed me to get this far, you know? And so I, I didn't believe in God. And I told myself that, and I started like getting into psychology and like all this kind of philosophy stuff and new age type of deal. When I took the life of that person, something in me kind of just reawakened. I believed in the afterlife. 
I started praying religiously every night in Jesus' name. You know, I wasn't praying, you know, according to the word or anything, but I was just praying. And I feel like that's what I needed to do. And when I got to county jail, uh, one of the other inmates gave me a devotional from Kenneth Copeland called From Faith to Faith. I read through that thing like in a day, cover to cover. And at the end of it, I just I was like, man, God was he, he revealed to me that there's so much more to like to being a Christian than just praying in Jesus name. And uh, I ended up giving my life to the Lord in, in Harris County Jail. And I just, my prayer was, you know, God, uh, I want to live for you. I want to live my life according to your word. I don't know your word, like you're going to have to teach me, but I know this is what I want to do. You know, no matter what, no matter what the next 15 years looks like, like I want to serve you in, you know, while I do my time. And just from that place, like God started showing up in my life immediately in county jail. And you know, I ended up doing nine years in uh, TDCJ. And that was pretty amazing experience, actually. So some people try to say, well, it's a jailhouse religion or conversion. But knowing you for the last few years, it wasn't just a jailhouse conversion. It really has become real and authentic. And I know you're passionate about God's presence for revival. God's blessed you with a wonderful wife and great spiritual family. I know Rob has been a great friend to you as well. Something you said earlier is so true about even Asian culture, the pressure I felt that whatever I did academically was not good enough. That was a part of the pressure. So Rob, tell us a bit about your journey in the Lord and how you ended up being in the world. And then finally that place where God gave you a revelation of himself and you came to him. One of the things that Paul said was like, you know, at a young age, he was exposed to, to Christianity, right? And so it was the same with me. I had a lot of ministers in my family, pastors and you know, we attended church regularly. I was around. I was in church, but, you know, I didn't have a relationship with Christ. I remember looking around and seeing people that were like, some people were like rich and some people were poor. Some people were healthy. Some people were sick. And I was like, you know, I just felt like it was a luck of the draw thing. Like, you know, maybe if God loved you a lot or you were good, you'd be blessed and maybe not. And we weren't poor or anything like that. I, honestly, like uh, my dad used to be a drug dealer. So we were like very wealthy and then he stopped selling drugs. And then we went like middle class, like super low middle class. And, you know, we always had food and, you know, everything was good, but it was like we were kind of stuck. I just saw my life, where I was, the neighborhood I came from. Nobody was really making it. And I didn't think that attending the church, you know, you look around and you're like, man, not even the people in the church are making it. It wasn't appealing to me as a young person. And I remember seeing just things at church that kind of like turned me off to Jesus, you know, and that's one of the reasons that I am who I am today, not because of people letting me down, but I understand that as a person in ministry, as a person that says, hey, I'm a believer, I live for Jesus that your testimony, good or bad, can affect how someone walks for the rest of their life. I know that from firsthand experience because some of those people that I met growing up that were in leadership, that were, you know, uh, on staff or whatever the case was, they let me down big time. I chose to say, hey, look, that's who God is because that's how they live, you know, good bad or indifferent. At a young age, man, I, I remember just saying, like, I don't want to have anything to do with this. I don't want to have anything to do with church. Like one of the first times I went to, to jail, I was two weeks away from graduating high school and I got I got arrested for, you know, I used to sell dope in high school 
and I had just helped one of our children's pastors at the time move into a new home. He had just become a police officer, purchased a new home. So things were looking up for him and his family. His kids were some of my, some of my good friends in the church. And lo and behold, he's the one that comes to do the arresting at the, at the school. Like he pulls me to the side and he's like, I don't want you hanging out with my son anymore. You're a bad influence. Just kind of going off on me, right? You know, I end up going to jail. I get out on, on like a bond. You know, I'm driving around working and coming home from work and I stop at the gas station with some friends and the same cop, ex-pastor, whatever, that arrested me that I just helped move, pulled into the gas station, searched us, like cussed me out, man, like just all kind of crazy stuff and was telling me like, you're no good. You know, I knew you were no good. And I was like, man, you didn't, you were the guy that prayed for me. You were the guy that told me like God had great plans for me and, you know, just all kind of stuff. And then immediately, like I had a, my mom showed up, another pastor at the church showed up and then he was like, yeah, you know, he automatically just like switched and was like, yeah, I was just telling, you know, Rob that, you know, he needs to straighten out his life that God has a plan for him. And I was like, no, why don't you cuss me out? Like you just did five seconds ago. Don't be fake. And I think, you know, in this, in this world, you hear that all the time that people need to be real or they want to be real. And for me, that was like a slap in the face. It was like, how can you tell me to live one way when you know, you're showing me to live another way. And I was, you know, it turned me off. And so I really just went into the streets, you know, selling drugs and, you know, running away from home and, you know, had an apartment when I was like 16 years old and, you know, just all kind of different things. You know, my parents divorced, like they were separated for a while, but actually divorced around the time I was 18. So I basically had a house to myself and we would party every single day. You talk about doing drugs. I would have 50 to 100 people show up at my house almost every single day as soon as the sun went down. Like everybody just showed up out of nowhere, beer and liquor and drugs and you name it, you know, girls, guys, everybody. I mean, they would stay there, live there. I had one friend that came to a party at my house and and just never left. He moved in for like six years living with me, man. I mean, we did ridiculous things. And when you look back, you talk about like looking back and how people see you and they say, oh, you never went through anything. I honestly experienced a lot of what the world calls the best they have to offer. You know, I was going into clubs and, you know, underage and buying all kind of liquor and VIP this and whatever. And, and it was never enough. I knew there was more. And so uh, for me, you know, I, like I said, I got arrested. I caught a felony early. I was, I was just, I think about 17, maybe 18 years old when I caught my first felony, you know, came back out and then it was hard. You know, I was in gifted and talented programs uh, from elementary school. So I was among the brightest and the best. And then just along the way, they would kick me out of the school because, you know, I went to like five different high schools. They would kick me out because of my behavior, attendance or, or you know, attitude. I was digging the hole deeper, you know, and the, the drugs were there and I felt, you know, invincible. Like, like Paul said, you know, for a while I was like, you know, if I, I remember telling my mom, if God has a plan for me, then it doesn't matter what I do because what I, whatever I do, if he's real and his plan is, is what's going to happen, then it's going to happen in that. It was kind of like a weird twisted, like I felt like invincible, man. I would run into gunfights. I would drive reckless and drunk and, you know, shootouts and, you know, whatever the case was, fights, we would fight all the time, pushing the limit because I was empty inside. Like, I mean, and you don't know that at the time. You just, you just feel like, man, it's, you know, this is life. And, you know, that's kind of what it was for us.
I remember, you know, having kids, you know, getting married young, you know, I, I ended up going to jail. I didn't go to jail right away. I had like probation. I violated my probation. They arrested me coming from a gas station, you know, on my way home. And I ended up going to jail. You know, at that time I tried, you know, I remember like, you know, that, that's why it's so important to teach your kids when they're young. The word says to train them up, train up a child when they're young and when they're old, they won't depart. And so I remember, like like Paul said, you know, feeling that guilt on the inside. Like, you know, it's something we did every day all the time, like fighting, shooting, you know, drinking, smoking, drugs, whatever was something we did all the time. But I remember like feeling like regret, man, you know, this isn't right. But for me, it was life, right? It was how we lived. It was what we grew up doing. So I didn't know another way. And when I got arrested, I went in and, and I saw some people that were like doing Bible studies and I watched them for the first couple of days. You know what I mean? Because not only is it church people that approach you, it's gangs that approach you and, you know, different things. And I, I remember like, no, nah, I'm, I'm, I'm all right. I don't want to be in a gang. I'm you know, that, that wasn't me. You know, I saw these church guys and they were having Bible study and they were they did it like right in front of my, you know, we have a dorm where there's like 100 people and they just happen to have the table right in front of my bed and they would have Bible study. And I would sit there and listen to them. I wouldn't join the table. I would sit there and listen to them. And I remember the main guy, he was there was an attraction about him. Right. I finally decided, hey, man, I'm going to go. I'm going to go to this Bible study. Right. And I, I went for like two days. Right. And I was I was kind of just feeling like, man, this is this is good. This is right. On that third day, man, the guy would you know, he would minister to us and tell us, man, I don't drink. You know, I don't I don't go play basketball. I'd rather read my Bible. You know, there's something about being with God. And then all of a sudden on that third day, he went outside to play basketball. You know, and we were already out there. I wasn't staying inside to read my Bible. I wasn't there yet. But he went out there and all of a sudden, instead of like praying for people and talking to people, he started cussing people out on the basketball court at nighttime. Instead of having Bible study, he was like, man, I'm about to get out, you know, in a couple of days. When I get out, I'm going to have these girls and I'm going to do these drugs and I'm going to do that. And I was like, talk about being let down by church people, you know, in the in ministry and church and just even in jail. Like this guy is that I thought was, you know, a light shining in the darkness, you know. Who cares why he was there? He just automatically switched. And, and the reason he used Christianity to me as a defense mechanism so he wouldn't get picked on or so that he could get picked on and say, hey, I'm going to pray for you. I don't want to fight. I wasn't raised like that. I was raised like, you know, there's a problem. You handle it. And so with this lifestyle, this mentality it just clashed. You know, And it goes back to just being real. I was wanting something that was real. And what this guy was showing me, he was the representative, the best that this dorm room, these hundred men in there, he was the best believer, you know, that was in there. And it was a facade. I chose for that time. I was only in there nine months at that time to say, you know what? I'm not ever attending a Bible study in here. I'm not ever going to use God as a shield. To me, that was weak. I ended up not doing it. That guy actually came when I got out of jail. He showed up at my house with my cousin to buy drugs from me. And I almost got in a fight with him. I wanted to whoop this guy. I told my cousin, never, I have zero respect for this guy. Never bring him to my house again. Fast forward. I thought like, man, I need to change my life. You know, I'm not going to sell drugs. You know, I had a family. I had kids. My, my daughter was actually, my wife was pregnant three months in with my daughter when I went to jail. So I got out nine months later. So my daughter was like three months old and it just kind of changed me. You know what I mean? I was like, you know, I gotta, I gotta do something different. So I started working two jobs, stopped selling drugs and just partied, right? Like normal lifestyle. And But everybody I hung out with was drug dealers and everybody I hung out with did crazy stuff. Even though I tried to eliminate myself from the equation, I was right smack dab in the middle of it. 
I remember, you know, my license was suspended. Uh, I had a felony. So there was very, you know, I was working at a gas station. So I would drink on the job. Like there was beer right there. So I would just go and drink while I was working and all that. So I remember being drunk that night, driving home, getting chased by the cops, getting away from the cops, parking my car, jumping fences, running, uh, trying to get into my house. And me and my wife had been fighting and I had left for the weekend. And so when I came back, this is what I come back to. Like I'm running from the cops, trying to get in the house. She's not home. Right. She left out with a friend. My cousin was there watching the kids. He lets me in and he's like, oh, yeah, she left. So I called her and I was like, hey, wherever you're at, don't come home. You know, it doesn't matter. And so she comes home with her her friend. They're trying to like hang out her, her friend and some guy that her friend is with. And I was like, man, you're not staying at my house. And so they're trying to come in. I'm telling them, no, this guy gets out of the car. He tells me, get out of my face. And he sticks his finger in my face, just pushes me back. And so I had a knife in my back pocket. I pulled out the knife, stuck it in his neck, twisted, broke the knife in his neck. And this guy was so coked up that he didn't even feel it. Big guy, you know, I'm, I'm six foot. He was like six, three, six, two, six, three about 300 pounds, doesn't feel me break a knife inside of his neck. And we're just fighting like, and blood's going everywhere. And this guy is just not moving. He's taking every hit I throw at him. My wife starts screaming. She sees blood, you know, he leaves, the girl leaves. My wife comes in leaving. I guess his girlfriend had called the cops. So while they were leaving, the cops stopped him leaving my neighborhood. Uh, I don't know if they life flighted him or like just took him to the hospital or something. But they left his car there and they took him. The cops came, kicked in my door, chased me, found me, arrested me, arrested my wife. My neighbor had my kids. So they were they probably would have took my kids. I mean, you know, we were right there at the end of it. Me and my wife were going to be together like it was done over. And I just remember calling a buddy of mine and I was like, hey, man, I'm going to jail. Watch Look out for my kids, you know, take care of them. I'll probably be in there a while. And he's like, look, don't do anything stupid. This is not a believer. You know, just a guy that I part of, don't do anything stupid, Rob. Just calm down. We'll figure something out. Okay, cool. I'm thinking, hey, this guy was at my house, you know, like, Paul, hey, I'm defending myself. You know, it shouldn't be long. But they looked at my record, you know, in and out of jail, felony, all this. And they said, hey, right off the jump, we're looking at 25 years to start with. That's that's our starting piece. And I was not even 25 at the time. When they came at me with that, it just changed my perspective. And I looked around and I was, I looked at everybody in there. It was the Lord, but it wasn't like a, I was at church and something happened. It was just, I was there and he spoke to me and I looked around and I saw the people and they looked and acted and talked and did everything the same way that I did. You know what I mean? They were from the same neighborhood, same color skin, same background, same stories, same police records. It's like, like I heard a voice say, you don't belong here. This is not how your story is supposed to end. It just kind of stuck with me. A couple of days went by and my wife called me and we kind of just talked on the phone. And, you know, in that talk, we reconciled and she's like, look, let's get you out. She knew it wasn't right. I knew it wasn't right. And so we just started working on it, man. And then in that, the Lord just kind of made a way. Like all of a sudden they told me, hey, look, you know, they went from 25 years to, hey, we're going to let you out with time served. You know, I bonded out after a month. I was in jail for a month at the time. And then it took me about a month to get the money to bond out. They told me, they said, hey, we're going to let you out. You can fight this court case. I get out and all of a sudden they tell me, hey, look, instead of 25 years, we're going to drop the charges, you know. And in this time, I, we started going to church. And I said, look, I'm going to go all in. I've never gone all in on re religion or church or Jesus, but I'm going to go all in because it's either that or like run away to Mexico and like 
get out of the States and, you know, run. I stopped drinking. I was a person that drank every day. Like I would wake up for breakfast, have beer. You know what I mean? Dinner, have beer. That's That was my diet consisted of alcohol and drugs. So I stopped doing drugs. I stopped cussing. I would cuss every other word was a cuss word. And so I remember my wife telling me, I didn't even know who this guy was. He was just like a different person. And it wasn't anything. Nobody prayed for me. I didn't do anything different other than I made a decision in my heart to say, I'm going to change it. I'm going to do this the right way. I'm going to go all in. We started going to church and I just started hearing the word. And they told me, they said, Hey, look, I got around people like, like, you know, with testimonies like mine and Paul. And they said, Hey, you know, we beat this stuff. And it gave me hope. It gave me hope that, that said, Hey, if they did it, they're still here and they're serving God. And like their life has changed. It can happen for me too. And then they told me, they said, just pray about it. Talk to the Lord. And I was like, you don't understand. I'm guilty. I did it. I know I did it. I was wrong. I don't think God can help me. And they, they assured me that he was bigger than my situation. And that was something that I never really had heard before. I go in and one day I'm in court and they tell me, hey, we're going to drop the charges. All you got to do is pay the medical bills and the court costs. You'll be free to go. We'll drop it from another misdemeanor because I, they said I almost killed the guy. Like if it would have been two centimeters here, he would have died, you know, so on and so forth. So that was a testimony in itself. I remember like being so thrilled that like they were going to drop the charges and I was going to be able to walk free. And I, uh, and then they hit me with the thing at the end that said the medical bills, doctor bill, all that stuff you're going to have to pay is about $30,000. And I was like, my mouth dropped, you know what I mean? And, and I was like, where am I going to get that kind of, I don't sell drugs anymore. Like, I'm not a drug dealer, guys. Like, I don't have that money. Like, my family's not rich. They say, well, you know, that's what we have for you. So, I mean, you take it, right? And I go home and I call Teresa and I tell her, Teresa's my wife, by the way. Uh, and I tell her the, the good news and then the not so good news. And I go to church and, you know, I'm testifying. I'm saying, hey, the Lord helped me. But, you know, I don't know. You know, there's this, there's this big but at the end of this testimony. But. I got to pay $30,000 or they're going to, you know, charge me. And, you know, some of the same people tell me, you know, God can pay for that. Right. And I was like, but I did it. Like, I'm the one that did it. I'm the one that, that, that pulled the knife. I'm the one that all of this stuff, I did it. I said, that's a lot of money. And they were like, you know, that's a lot of, we got a lot of God. You know what I mean? Like he's a big God. He can take care of this. Honestly, by, I, I think it was by the end of, you know, I was in jail all of that January. I got out and I was going back and forth to court. And then I think by by March, man, $30,000 like supernaturally was paid off. Like, I don't know where it came from. I don't know how it happened. We didn't get any, we didn't hit the lottery. Just, we just believe God, man. I remember just praying to him and, and just, they told me that, that it can happen. And I was like, I just believed it. That's where I came from. And, and we went from having nothing and being just, in the hole in debt, young with kids, felony record, you know, all this kind of stuff, facing 25 years, facing divorce, facing losing my family, losing two jobs, losing our house, losing our car to like God restoring us, man. And so I tell people all the time, I was like, for me, regardless of all the past that I experienced, the negative letdowns, like all it took was God to show up for me that one time. Like you can't take that away from me. You can't tell me it didn't happen. You can't tell me it was an accident. You can't tell me it was because I deserved it because I didn't. I know I did it. It's because of the goodness of God and because he loved me. That's the shorter condensed version of my story. 
I want to touch on that because yeah. both of you had some pretty extreme journey to get where you are today. But thank God for the redemption of God, that God's redemption does restore. When I interviewed my friend Luke Niferatos on the societal impact of the recreational use of drugs and legalizing drugs, you know, it's one thing to have a medicinal use. But in today's world, I have friends that, that and told me that, yeah, they say it was medicinal, but they go get a prescription for medicinal drugs, but they didn't really need it for anything. Yeah. They were using it. And and then, of course, the crime that increases, and we see that what's happening in different cities that is really legalizing psychedelics now, and as well as marijuana and other things. I know for me, my answer is that, yes, it was a segue for me into other things, and even doing some crazy things I would probably not have done if I had my mind right. But the drinking, the partying, the drugs, the cocaine, the LSD, the psychedelic psilocybin mushrooms, whatever I was doing, all those things had a factor in my lack of cognitive processing and thinking. Because, you know, the real experts are people like us who've done these things. And then all these so-called experts that come up with all these political terminology, they're not the experts. Follow the science. Well, they're not doing good science. They're not asking those of us that were impacted. Do you feel like that was a segue into some of the other bad behavior that you were involved in? Most definitely. I tell people all the time, you know, they ask you, hey, what do, what do you think about drinking? Because, you know, the Bible says you can drink, but don't get drunk. I said, well, legally, if you drink one beer, you're drunk. Legally, if you get behind the wheel, they'll pull you over. It goes into abuse. You know, people feel different about it. I, that, that's just me. I tell them, look, if you're going by the law and you're going by what the word says, I don't, for me, it either gets you closer to God or it gets you further from him. And that's how I settle that. I think drugs, they take you to places, you know, look at those shows like Intervention. That's a huge show because people abuse it and it gets into a place. It start, They start out one way and then they, they get to a place where they're sometimes unrecognizable as a person because of the abuse that their body has taken because of drugs, because of needing drugs or what they do to get drugs. I'm definitely against legalizing that because you're basically open the door for people to kill themselves slowly. Like you said, sometimes we use it to cope with the pain, you know, and, and honestly, like we talked about earlier, that was just normal to us. You know, I thought, you know, I know you guys have the, the Asian heritage. I thought Mexican people cut the grass, drank beer and barbecued, like, cause that's what we did. Right. Like I thought that's all you were supposed to do on the weekend. Right. Is drink beer and barbecue. And and I remember like never touching cocaine in my life because I saw some of my uncles, like family friends using cocaine on a regular basis and, and being broke because of it. Their house falling apart. They're never having their lights on. And I, I thought if I did that, I'd be like them. And so I stayed away because of it. But I'm like so against anything that's going to take your mind off of focus. You know what I mean? Like, that's what the word says. You know, you got to be sober, be vigilant because there's an enemy coming to take you guys out. That's something we got to watch for. What do you think, Paul? I agree 100%. Man, if I didn't do drugs, man, I, I know for sure I wouldn't have went to prison. I wouldn't have done the things that I did. You know, drugs are, it's it's a gateway. It doesn't matter really what kind of drug it is. Marijuana, I, I never really liked marijuana, but, you know, when I smoked marijuana, like I would get in a daze, you know, and I mean, it's, you're getting high and, and I get behind the wheel. And there was this one time where I, I must have smoked something other than marijuana. I thought it was marijuana, but felt like I was like just floating, but I was driving. I was gripped with fear. 
because I was like, how in the heck am I going to get to my destination? Like, I can't, everything is just like shifting, but some way, some, I know it was God. I yeah. ended up making it to the parking lot and I put it in park and I was like, man, I'm never smoking again. They just don't realize that, you know, drugs, their purpose is to alter, right? Like your chemical balances and levels, in, you know, in your body, it'll affect like your ability to work, you know, and, and carry out like a job and just how you interact with people. Like for me, like the cocaine, it, it got me wired up, but I, mean, I would, I would be up for days, you know, and yeah. I'd go to work, you know, high on cocaine. And at the time I was going to U of H and I would go into class, you know, on cocaine or, or, you know, on Xanax. And I just say stupid things in the class, you know, I'd be that stupid, stupid kid that was like drunk and on bars in class and just making a, a scene, you know, I agree, man. Drugs, drugs are, are not a good thing. Well, you know, when you look at the word for witchcraft in scripture, it actually comes from the root word that we use for pharmakeia, mm -hmm. drugs. You're right. Both of you have mentioned this a few times. When anything alters our capacity to have cognitive thinking or processing, especially with the Lord, I think, uh, Rob, you brought this up too. I, I don't judge anybody else. If they're a sipping saint, that's their deal. But for me, I want to be part of the prophetic generation. I've seen what drugs and alcohol does to people. And John the Baptist, Jesus out of his own mouth said John the Baptist was the greatest uh, a prophet born of woman. And yet no drink or strong drink touched his lips. I guess it's because you want to be sensitive to the leading of the Lord and not be influenced by anything else, any other factor, but the presence of God. So again, I don't judge others. In fact, you, you know, in my books, I've written about that, that my reason for not doing alcohol for me is not a legalistic thing. It's because I want to be in that place with the Lord that is so sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And the primary reason, I have a lot of friends that have come out of drugs and alcohol, and it would be a stumbling block for them to see me as a minister justifying being a sipping saint. And then now you've got people, because they've legalized pot in some cities, you got some preachers or so-called preachers saying, let's have a, a, a Bible study and pot party. I'm thinking, what have we come to, right? All the plants and all the, the vegetation belongs to God. Well, that's true. You know, come on, man. For me, it's really about caring about loving God, wanting to know him, but also being sensitive to people that look to us. I mean, Rob, you told a couple of great stories of people you were admiring and looking up to that were hypocrites. In fact, the word hypocrite comes from the ancient Greek word meaning play actor, stage actor. So a person who was acting on stage, a person who was doing drama, they called them a hypocrite. They were play acting. Today, we have a whole bunch of play actors and, and hypocrites from Hollywood to music to even in the church, people that are play acting. They don't really representing the authenticity of God or anything else, they are playing in this facade, as you guys have talked about, there's a compensatory facade, they're compensating through their hypocrisy or their acting for the lack of the real truth on the inside. And that's where I think both of you came to a revelation of the reality of Christ, that it became a relationship with the living God that nobody can take from you, because that was a personal, like it was for me, it was a personal encounter with God himself. And no one can take that from us, right? Yeah, that's right. Let's fast forward the redemption of God. You know, we've heard your testimony in the past, 
But bring us to the present. I know, Rob, that you own a business. You're doing quite a bit of things. You're happily married. You went through the journey, but you're together. You have a family. You love each other. And you're successful as a business leader. But tell us a bit about the redemption of God and what you're doing now. And then, Paul, then I want you to tell me, obviously, you got married, you and Hope. Tell us about the redemption side of God and the things you're doing now. So it kind of gives perspective that there's hope for anyone listening. Yeah, we actually just got back from a birthday trip to Hawaii. We went through a lot of stuff, but I remember, and I'm getting ready to go this uh, Sunday to the Southwest Believers Convention with Brother Copeland and a lot of the the generals of faith over there. Paul talked about that faith to faith. I I still read that every day, you know what I mean? Uh, Devotional, every single day. I've given a bunch of them out, you know, and ministers life to me. And so I remember going to our first Believers Convention and we shared a hotel room with people. We were eating sandwiches and carpooling and all that stuff. And I heard all this word and, you know, I, I'm just coming out of, you know, this testimony side, getting, getting into like, I'm free, but I'm still behind the eight ball, so to speak. And I just heard the good plans that God had for me. And I said, it's easy. All we have to do is like what he said, like, that's it. I was like, why do people make it so hard? And, and I remember just learning and walking and growing in the things of God, not missing church, coming no matter, no matter what, whenever the doors were open. I didn't get my license overnight. You know, I, was, I went years without a license because it was like a $5,000 fine and believing God for that money. And I was believing, you know, I had a time where I lost my job for a little while because I didn't have a barber's license. You know what I mean? I had to start all over. And, you know, I thought it was a, a curse, but it was actually a blessing in disguise. Cause like you said, now we, we've been voted three years in a row, the best barbershop in Houston. I, I do that. We travel. My wife, you know, has, has gotten, you know, just advancement and, and promotion in her job favor on my kids' lives and they're, they're doing business and different things like that. And so uh, I just seen us come from a place where we got out, you know, barely making it but trusting God and believing him for me and my family of four living on an air mattress in my mom's house to owning our own home, owning our own vehicles, having our own business, successful business at that, you know, having employees that we can, you know, provide for, help provide for their families, show them the blessing of God that's on our life, the favor. We've been in ministry uh, for, for several years. I mean, I, I didn't know, like when they asked me about being a youth pastor the first time, Paul, I was like, no way, bro. Like, I'm not letting people down. Like the way these guys let me down, like, no, I'm not doing it. But I, again, the Lord spoke to me and he said, you know, you don't have to be like them. You know what I mean? You can define what a Christian looks like, because I remember them saying like, oh, you're a Christian. And I, I looked at the definition and it was like square, you know, was one of the, the the names for a Christian. You know, every Christian movie has that, or every movie has that Christian friend that everybody picks on. I was like, nobody's picking on me. I'm not lame. You know what I mean? And so I wanted to be, he said, you can be that example for people. We did that. We've done ministry for years in, in the schools, in the public schools, all over Houston, all over Spring, Klein District, going out and ministering to kids because teaching them that they don't have to have the lifestyle that we did starting out to get to where we are now, you know what I mean? Because that's the thing, you know, one of the prayers that we pray as a family all the time is that God will put us on display for the world to see so that they can see that, hey, there's hope. It's not about bragging on me or what I can do or how good I am or anything like that. It's like, hey, no, I trust God and he gives this to me, you know what I mean? And and I do with it what he tells me. 
and it increases and it shows it gives fruit to other people and it gives hope to other people and it gives you know inspiration to other people and that's what we want to see because i remember as a kid like you know one of the things that youth camps and different things like that they will come tell you is like when when people see you they're going to know you've been with god or you know they used to always come up to me and prophesy paul they would be like you're going to be set apart and do great things for god and i was like I thought they just told everybody the same thing because every time I would go up for prayer, that's what they would tell me. And I was like, you know, y'all got to get some new material, guys. Like, like it can't, you know, be that. Like I said, it's easy. All you got to do is say yes to him and let him lead you. And if your, your story might not end up in the, the same exact way we are, you know, you might not own a barbershop. You might not, you know, have a wife and two kids and things like that. But what you will have, you know, is a story that's blessed because God has a story that's written just for each and every one of you guys listening, uh, whether it's now, in the future. You know, just like he told me, my this is not how my story ends. Even if you had a past that isn't the best or you're not proud of or, or you know, you say, well, I don't know where God was in this. Your story that he has written for you, regardless of what the past looks like, is amazing. And if you'll trust him, and that's all you got to say is, God, I'll trust you. And I, I want the story that you have for me. If you'll say that with your heart and just mean it, allow him to, to unfold those that story. And just I, I see it like in the spirit where it's just turning pages and you can just start start reading it and lining your life up with what he has. It'll be beautiful. It'll be amazing. We can't change our past. Yeah. The decisions we make every day, do, do they determine our future. And, you know, we can't live in regret for the past. We can't even live in the past. We look at those things as kind of part of our life message, but it's really who we are today in Christ and the future he has for us. But I've watched you. I mean, I've seen you and your wife come out and we were out and um, uh, let us worship. It was at 30 degrees and drizzly <laughs> and freezing. And you're still out there worshiping God anyway, right? Yeah. And I've seen the way you've interacted with the guys at your next level barbershop that you own and, and the way you, you're discipling them even there in the marketplace and providing that I see the respect they have for you and, and those at the church that, that have such a respect for you as well. And so that tells me the authenticity of Christ in. And, you know, we all still have our issues. We still have our problems. We still have our challenges. Nobody's but, perfect. But God is a perfect God doing a work of perfection. Exactly. So, Paul... You know, I know that uh, you've gone through a lot in your life in, in those years you were in TDC. Tell us a little about the redemption of God and where you are now and what God's allowing you to do and your plans for the future. In all honesty, like God's redemption started as soon as I said yes to him in the county jail. And I'm still blown away that you said that must be a long time ago. It was videotapes or was it CDs? What was it? Because I'm still blown away that you saw a series of videos that I did and I got into TDC. I think it was DVDs. And when I saw your videos, it was probably like 2012, 2011. When I said yes to him, he literally came into my life and took away all those old desires. My deliverance or freedom from like drugs and alcohol, for me, it was immediate. Because in county jail, you know, you still have access to, to all those things. Some of the guys in, in my pod at the time, you know, were, which, you know, giving me the stuff. And, you know, I was a brand new Christian, but I was like, all right, you know, let me try it. So I, I tried like the wine that they made and it was just, it was disgusting. I said, like, man, this is so stupid, man. I'm never drinking again. 
they give me like the the pills and I, I took it and like I just I, I didn't get high and I was like man this is dumb I, I man I'm never gonna take pills again and so it's like God totally like uprooted and set me free from like those desires and and like kind of like what I was saying you know we were all a bunch of kids teenagers I was the oldest one in the pod at 20. Everybody else in my pod was like 19, 17, like capital murder, you know, life sentences, you know. And so I was like, some of those kids, like, you know, we were just hungry for something, something different. And, you know, we were trying to read the Bible and do Bible studies, but I would sit in front of the TV and and just be like, man, I wish I could go to church. You know, I don't even want to watch TV. Like, this is dumb. Or, you know, they're they're trying to play cards. And I'm, I'm like, man, this isn't even fun. Like, I had no desire for these things. God restored my family. You know, when I went into prison, I was actually very surprised by the support that I got from my parents. Because at the time, they were divorced. Um, I was living with my mom and my, my brother was living with my dad. Didn't really have a relationship at all with my dad. He had kicked me out multiple times. So I'm living with my mom. Didn't really have a relationship with my mom. She just didn't care anymore. But, you know, she she was my mom. She loved me. She didn't want me on the streets. So she allowed me to stay with her. I wouldn't even see her because our, our schedules were so opposite. You know, I'd be up all night, go to sleep at like four or five in the morning. And then she'd go to work. And then I'd wake up at like, you know, four or five in the afternoon. So we just miss each other, you know, like we were in the same house, wouldn't talk. So I, I end up going to prison. It must have been like two or three years into my time, my parents end up getting remarried. Me going to prison actually brought my family together. My mom moved, ended up selling her house and moving back in with my dad and, and my brother was there. And so they were there, you know, they became a family. I actually saw my, my parents more when I was in prison because they would come visit me every weekend more than I did when I was in the free world. And we would, at, at visitation, you know, we would actually talk for two hours because that's, I mean, that's all you can do. So they would come every weekend and we would sit and we would talk. And so he restored my family while I was in prison. You know, I ended up getting out. I was going to U of H. I was majoring in accounting and I was going to get a double major and, and get a major in finance as well. I ended up getting locked up during a summer session. And, and this is all God. Like when I got out, I got out in the summer. And it was like, I, I must have got out like two or three days before the deadline to register for summer classes. While I was locked up, my mom ends up like becoming friends with the assistant dean of the business school at U of H. She tells him my story and he's like, oh, when Paul gets out, send him over here and I'm going to make sure he, you know, he, he gets in all the classes he needs to and, and we're going to take care of him. So I get out, meet with the assistant dean and he puts me, you know, registers me in all the classes I need. And. I didn't lose any credits. You know, I was gone for nine years. I didn't lose any credits. I didn't have to retake any classes. And I ended up graduating that fall. So I took the summer session, took the fall session and graduated with my double major. So I I literally came out back into the free world, like in the same position as when I went into prison, right? And when I went into prison, I was in a summer session and I had a fall semester left and I would have graduated. So I got out. Did that summer, fall, graduated with my double major. Had some difficulty getting a job at first, you know, with the felony, you know, but my, I wanted to, to be in the financial accounting field and, and through a relationship that God set up, I, I met this guy in California. You know, of all places, I was in California for a conference, met this VP of a staffing agency here in Houston. And so while I was applying for jobs and I, I got rejected, 
I was just like, I asked Holy Spirit, like, God, you know, like, what do you have for me? You know, you're my provider. You're my father. I know you, you, you take care of me. So you have something for me. Just what is it? And, you know, he, he brought that guy to my remembrance. I wrote him an email and he hooked me up with a job, an accounting job. And so that was my entrance into accounting. And I'm still right now, I'm a finance director for a local nonprofit. And so uh, he's restored. I mean, everything like before, before I gave my life to Christ, like, like Rob said, man, I was just empty. You know, my life was literally wake up, drink, get high, do drugs, go to sleep and wake up again and do the same thing. I, I remember like, I, I felt like I never, I never won at life. I, I never I had anything to, to brag about, nothing to boast about. I never succeeded, no accomplishments. Felt like I lost, you know, every, every opportunity I, I would always lose. But when I gave my life to Christ, it's not that like he, he makes me win at things. It's just like, now I have purpose and fulfillment. It all, it all just comes from, you know, being in a relationship with him. And all these things, you know, and, you know, that he gives us in life, you know, they're great. You know, I got married to an amazing wife. And I'm just so grateful because now, like, I'm actually alive, you know, like he restored my life. Before, like, you know, Robbie, in our previous life, and the same with you, Doug, like, we weren't actually living. Like yeah. we were the walking dead, you know what I'm saying? We weren't living. So he restored, like I am alive now. And uh, man, I just got purpose, you know, and, and uh, I go back into the prisons, you know, uh, and I bring, you know, the same, the same message, this, this, the same hope that I received, you know, and, and I, I go in every week and, and I'm seeing, you know, breakthrough. And so it's like before I was a, a drain on society, you know, I was destructive to society, to myself. Now. Like I, I can contribute, you know, I can give, I can give away Jesus and the kingdom and uh, like this, the goodness of God to people. And, and I can actually impact my environment in a good way. So, and there's so much more, but just, you know, just to testify, like he restores all things. We definitely have to have you guys on again sometime. There's so much more to talk <laughs> about, but I am so blessed by your lives. I know that God you know, had his hand on you all along. And sometimes we don't even see that even when we're going through the things we went through, his hand was still on us. I was thinking about an article I wrote years ago because I had been praying, like Leonard Ravenhill prayed for my generation. I've been praying for your generation and the next generation that God would raise up those with a prophetic mantle. He would raise up for this uh, new generation of leadership. And you guys exemplify that, watching the way you interact with your families, watching the way you interact with people around you. Even though life isn't always easy, watching how your temperament and how people could look to you and they're watching Christ in you. And you guys really do exemplify that in some incredible ways, probably better than I would have many years ago. So I just thank God for you. I'm, I'm blessed by your lives, I'm honored to, to journey with you. And for my generation, I pray that we will continue to be a blessing to your generation so that just like it said in the book of Psalm, that, that we would raise up a generation who would tell the next generation about God and about the goodness of God and their hope in God. And you guys are doing that well. I pray that my generation will continue to be a blessing to you and that you would walk in the fulfillment of the destiny of the prophetic generation God is brought forth, because I believe just like in Joel 2 and Acts 2, that there is a prophetic generation that's emerging that will see visions, prophesy, and be a literal, tangible, prophetic, corporate-anointed generation 
preparing the way for revival and for the coming of the Lord. And so you guys are part of that. You guys really are. You exemplify that. And I thank God for that and appreciate you guys so much. Thank you so much for having us on. And, you know, one of the things that Paul said was like his parents got back together while he was in jail. You know, and that's that's like amazing what the enemy meant for bad. The Lord will turn it around for good. So no matter what, if you're listening to this, no matter what your background, where you're coming from, what you started with. It doesn't dictate how you're going to end up because let me tell you something, Paul, you, that I got excited on what you said because my parents, like I said, they got divorced when I was about 18 years old, maybe a little sooner, but my kids have never known. My son's 24. My daughter's 21. My, my kids have never seen my parents together. I had a chance to marry them this year. Like yeah. <laughs> they got back together, man. And so, so the only reason I say that you is baptized somebody, them too, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. My dad got baptized, <laughs> and then came to the wow. barber shop to get a haircut and told me, "Oh yeah, I'm gonna get married Sunday. Me and your mom uh, want to have a ceremony." And like I said, it's a testament of what we do. And, and whoever is listening to this, that might be something you're believing God for, and you're hearing stories of a complete turnaround, of a complete family restoration, of complete financial restoration. And God wants you to have these things too, man. Father, I thank you so much for moments like this. Lord, thank you for Rob and and for Paul and their families. Thank you, Lord, for a whole generation that's bringing hope and bringing life into my generation to see that our dreams will be accomplished through this visionary prophetic generation. God, I pray for all those that are listening or even watching, that they will find a depth of purpose greater than they have ever known before. As Paul said earlier, that it wasn't really living before, but we're living now. Lord, I pray that those who are listening, who maybe have, have been disappointed or discouraged or distracted, or maybe have gone through personal condemnation or feeling regret of the past, God, help them to know, even as Rob said earlier, Lord, that it's not about the past, It's about where we are right now and what you're doing with our lives. Thank you for the redemption of the cross. Thank you for the redemption and the salvation and the health and the healing and the freedom and the liberation and the deliverance that comes in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. We hope you enjoyed this episode of A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends and ask you to prayerfully consider supporting the ministry at somebodycares.org or by texting your donation amount to 805-422-7348. Please join us again for A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends.